Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. At that time, it will be said to, his, to, the, to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert towards my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to Kids Sunday. <laughs> Let me say again how grateful I am for people who know how to do so many of the things that I do not know how to do. Uh, grateful for people who are flexible. It's a powerful combination to be both flexible and talented, so I'm, I'm grateful to work with these folks. And now let me say about this series that we're continuing in the book of Jeremiah. Like other books of the Bible, the book of Jeremiah is difficult. Thank you. But we need to make a decision about it. I mean, if we're not going to take seriously what the book of Jeremiah says, let's just take it out, right? But if we're not going to take it out, and most of us would vote not to, although after this sermon you may change your mind about that. If we're not going to take it out, then let's not protect ourselves from it. Uh, and maybe there uh, is something there that our kids, not lost on me, it's Kids Sunday, but it, it, it still is a difficult passage of scripture, but I'm of the opinion that in the hands of the right people, and this is one of the right people right here down front, Pastor Lisa does so well with our kids and so well with difficult passages of scripture that I'm pretty sure that we're still supposed to communicate to kids. We're not supposed to protect the kids from the Bible. Amen? Yeah. So this is, this is one of those. So to take Jeremiah seriously is to take the context within which the book of Jeremiah was written. And, and here is the context, right? The people of God are failing to be the people of God. And as is said often, in the book of Jeremiah, their failing to be the people of God is the reason that they have wandered into oncoming traffic in the form of the Babylonian army. Their inability to care for the other, this is a hallmark of the people of God. Their inability to care for the other, to be an alternative community of care and grace received first from the heart of God, but demonstrated by the people of God, their inability to actually translate grace into grace is the reason that they are going to suffer the way that they're going to suffer. Still, God's mind about them is made up and the news is good, but there are ramifications for choosing against the calling of God. I'll say again, the book of Jeremiah is best heard by us. It's better heard by us than it is heard by me. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't participate as individuals because I would say to you, especially this sermon at the end of it, you and I as individual believers have decisions to make as to whether or not we intend to be a part of this alternative gathering known as the people of God. We baptized two folks 
into an alternative way of being alive today. I mean, that's what happened. It wasn't some sort of glorified bath that happened over there, right? Sure, we we can use words like cleansing to describe some of what happens as we go through all of these different processes. But listen, what we did today should be understood as an initiation rite. They were welcomed into, this is part of the reason for all of the celebrating, the clapping. God has added more to this alternative way of being alive, this alternative posture. And then to turn one's back or to turn our collected back on the calling of God to be the people of God, the tangible expression of God, we just have to know that there are ramifications, much like there are ramifications for the person who decides to jump out of an airplane, but I don't need that parachute, thank you very much. Now, God's mind about him or her as he or she jumps out of the plane from 10,000 feet without a parachute, God's mind about that person is made up and still gravity will have its say. It's not that there won't be repercussions, ramifications. In fact, most certainly there will be. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love the person who has chosen poorly or the people who have chosen poorly and perhaps continue to choose poorly. But we need to make sure that we understand that in the midst of that judgment, God still loves. In the midst of the love of God, there will still, and there still can be judgment, okay? I found a website that I really enjoy. Actually, it's a Twitter feed, and it's called Abandoned Places. So these are pictures of things abandoned all over the world. As you can see, this is a cruise ship, it's incredible. Uh, Here is a theater somewhere in Western Europe, but completely abandoned. Still beautiful, but but abandoned. This looks like it's straight out of the, The Walking Dead, but this is in Belgium. This is a traffic jam, and I'm not sure what happened, but they saw fit to leave all those cars, and they are there to this day. Isn't that amazing? Abandoned. This is in Japan, a roller coaster in an entire amusement park, completely abandoned. Beautiful, but abandoned. No one's riding the roller coaster anymore, amen? (laughs) This is a beautiful church also in Western Europe. Beautiful church. Beautiful. I mean, look at that. Even in its abandoned state, it still makes for a pretty picture, right? But that's Western Europe, right? This is Indiana. (laughs) See, somebody got that. (laughs) This this is Indiana. So I think we have gotten used to saying in our circles, oh, the church is in a bad way in Western Europe. All these people are filing out of the churches. They have these big, beautiful churches and people are leaving them. It's such a tragedy. Thank goodness it doesn't happen here. This is Indiana. Now, this is my suspicion that this church, now maybe they have relocated, it's possible that they've relocated, yeah. But at this place, they're not doing a whole lot of neighborhood outreach. I don't know if this particular location has had a baptism recently. 
the Apostle Paul may have some things to say <laughs> to the church of today. And we're gonna begin with some of his words, kind of, and then we're gonna end with some of the words, words today as we get to Jeremiah in the middle. But, but I, wanna, I wanna say to us again, is this God that we sing about and serve today the same God that has seen fit over the years to look at the gathered people of God and say, you're not getting it right and, and I need it to be right. And so I have to, if I have to work around you or despite you, I will. Is that God still God? Might that God still say the same sorts of things? Like, do you think it matters to God that we can have so many churches, pastors and Christians throughout our state? It, it, it strikes me today, today even, there's a big, down at Scissor Tail Park, there's a thing called Unite OKC. And I have great hopes for it. It's, it's like an all-star worship band and all these churches are coming together and we're one of the sponsors of it too. But do we think, do we think that that's all it's gonna take? I, I would remind us that we have so many churches, so many pastors, so many Christians, and we score so poorly in all the rest of society's health measurements. Do we think that matters to God? Uh, friends, that matters to God. That matters to God. That we don't seem to be serving the people around us is an issue for God. What might the Apostle Paul have to say, perhaps to the church in Oklahoma or in Oklahoma City? I think it would go something like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the churches of the United States or Oklahoma, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't even know really where to begin with you guys. I'm trying to make more palatable that which is terrifying. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm struggling with it too? How do we understand these hard words from the prophet and are they for us? The best way to read the words of the prophet is with an open mind and open heart. And the question that goes something like this, might these words be for us? Or how might these words be for us? I still think we need some more work, some more preparation before we can get to Jeremiah. So let's start actually with some other passages that are very familiar to us. This is Luke chapter 15, where you have the parables of the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this guy, this Jesus, who by the way was God. We, we good there? This Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. What does he think he's doing? Now, the Pharisees and the scribes when they entered the room entered with a particular view of God and they conflicted with another view of God sitting there at the table with sinners. So he told them this parable. All right, which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness? He leaves the 99 not just behind a fence somewhere, but leaves them in the wilderness to go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found the one sheep that was lost. Now this is Jesus trying to tell folks, including us, what God is like. 
Everybody get that? Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The scribes and the Pharisees, agree with me here, right? The scribes and the Pharisees are more concerned with the found than they are the lost. They consider themselves to be amongst the found and in fact have taken issue with Jesus, God, who has postured himself for the lost. Honestly, this Jesus is terrible economic theory. Now you're gonna see, I'm gonna be reading quite a bit today because this is a passage, this is a sermon with so many landmines, I, I need to make sure I get it at least close to right, right? Jesus, have you not ever taken any economics classes? It makes no business sense at all to leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one. Friends, but these parables are told to reveal something about God and the kingdom of God and kingdom economics. God is on the lookout for the one in danger, the one in harm's way, the one on the margins, the wanderer, the least of these, at least that's how the most would describe her or him or them. And Jesus wasn't finished. He says, or what woman, woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the one coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus again not great economic theory and really not great math skills. One as opposed to nine. But God in Christ says, yeah, the one matters to God. The question is, does the one matter to the people of God? Or do the people of God matter to the people of God? goes on to tell a story of the lost son. I'm not gonna read that whole thing to you now, but I want to remind us that we're in that parable somewhere. <laughs> I mean, all of us are in that parable somewhere. We're either taking the posture of the older brother who knows better, wonders why there's not a party for the well-behaved, or we're the younger brother who says, wow, grace saves me. Maybe someday we'll all live long enough to take the posture of the Father who dispenses grace, not keeping score at all. Now again, this may not make sense. In addition to this being terrible economic theory, it may also be, as you sit there, it may also be to you bad relational or familial theory. I mean, what sense does that make? But again, these are parables told to reveal something about God and the kingdom of God and kingdom economics and family relations. God is on the lookout for the one in danger. Again, the one in harm's way, the one in the margins, the wanderer, the least of these. At least that's how the older brother would describe him. And it's not at all that the older brother, the other sheep don't matter. And I've witnessed this dynamic itself, but it's a good thing. 
is a good and loving shepherd, a good and loving parent, and a good and loving God that can't rest while one of God's own is out there in danger and on the margins. Our faith in that God is meant to shape us to be like that God. Is it though? God's mind is on the lost. God is asking the people of God, is your mind and imagination spent on the lost and on the least? Sometimes the answer is no. Where the people of God are concerned, at least it's been this way throughout history and it may or may not be that way here. The mind and imagination of the people of God is spent on the people of God. But our faith is meant to shape us to be the tangible expression of God. You do know that Paul uses the language, right, of the body of Christ, the body of Christ in the world, in the right here and the right now, and it has always been that way. This is why God so often directs us to be on the lookout for the, this is Old Testament language, right? But the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the traveler, the sojourner, the vulnerable, the isolated, the one who is one, as opposed to the one who is a part of the 99. And friends, if I haven't said this clearly enough, let me try to say it again. This part of our faith is not optional. This is not extra credit for those who want better accommodations in heaven. (laughs) This mindset is central to the kingdom effort, the Christian effort, so central, now here's, here's where we're gonna get into the mind and heart of God here in Jeremiah, so central that when we miss it, God is disappointed. And when we make missing it a habit, God starts to get frustrated. And when we miss it and we call that faith, that kind of care for the people on the margins, when it seems like something that is then called something unchristian or liberal, or anti-Christian, that's when we see throughout scripture that God is angry enough to do something about it. Okay, everybody ready to go to Jeremiah now? Given the introduction provided by Luke 15, maybe we now have eyes and ears to hear Jeremiah 4, but I wanna say again, I know this is troubling. We don't like to read words like these It sounds unloving, but at least maybe now we understand why. God is directing these remarks to people who somehow have been able to take the central calling of the people of God, and instead of understanding that as faith, they've made that unfaith. It's Jeremiah 4, verse 1. God says, if you return, Israel, says the Lord, if you return to me, if you remove your abominations from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, which is care, and in uprightness, then nations shall be blessed by you, and by you they will boast. But... This version of Israel or Judah has refused to listen. They have refused to be the people of God and they have refused so regularly that they seem to have fashioned a faith that leaves this entire part entirely out. And so God says, I'm gonna do something then. 
Raise a standard, verse six. Raise a standard towards Zion or Jerusalem. Flee for safety, do not delay. For I, says God, I am bringing evil from the north. This is the Babylonian army and a great destruction. A lion has gone up from its thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Where is the loving God, y'all? On that day, says the Lord, courage shall fail the kings and the officials and the priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Even the folks who are speaking for God have so missed the point that God sees the need to step in and make changes. Oh. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, now this should make some sense, A hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, but not to winnow or to cleanse. A wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. You can't allow yourself, and and hear this, you're going to need this for the rest of the sermon. This is not God changing God's mind about whether or not God loves these people. This is what this love will look like now. It's terrifying. It is judgmental, and it is still love. But why, God? Why are these things happening? God's pretty quick to say, well, here's why. Your ways and your doings have brought this upon you. This is your doom, how bitter it is. It has reached your very heart. And for them, the heart is not just where you feel things, sentimental sorts of things. The heart seems to be the very core of your essence and your being. And what God is saying here is, I don't recognize you. I love you, but I don't recognize you. And what's worse is you don't seem to recognize me. Well, how can you tell, God? Because look, they're orphans. Widows, immigrants, and you've decided that good faith is to ignore them and maybe even blame them for being orphans, widows, and immigrants. Walter Brueggemann says, mobilization has begun and will not be averted. Judah is now at war. Jerusalem is now under attack. The army may be Babylonian, but the real agent is God. That, of course, makes the danger massive ominous, inescapable. If you're visiting today, I'm so sorry. (laughs) These are difficult words to read and to hear. Being made in the image of God tells us something about ourselves. We've heard that phrase a lot. But friends, today I want you to hear it go in the other direction. Yes, there is a family resemblance and that is great news. But being made in the image of God also tells us something about God too. We shouldn't be too surprised or astonished or frightened that God feels some of the same emotions that we feel. Maybe that makes these words easier to hear, perhaps not. But these words sound like something that a wounded person might say. Verse 22, this is tough, y'all. God says, my people are foolish. They don't know me. They are stupid children. It's in the Bible, I promise. I didn't make that part up. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but don't seem to know how to do good. Verse 
Another guy I read named Dwight Lundgren says this today. He says, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 use much the same language and provide insight into what God is saying through Jeremiah. In both of those Psalms, the fool is the individual, hear this, is the individual who says in word or in deed, there is no God. I belong to myself. I am accountable only to myself for my behavior. It is a practical worship of the self as the sole reference point for one's existence. Thus, power dynamics trump the demands of justice and the exercise of relationships. Personal needs, desires, and goals take precedent over respect for equity within the community. Listen, if you are offended politically by that, that's a problem. Then what you have done is you've decided to wear a pair of glasses that is political or partisan in nature and then go to scripture. Y'all, Don't do that. I suggest that we let the Bible speak on its own terms. Can I get an amen there? And then with those lenses, go to every other conversation we're gonna have. Verse 23. I looked on the earth and lo, it was waste and void and to the heavens and they had no light. This is Jeremiah speaking. I looked on the mountains and lo, they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. And I looked and lo, there was no one at all and all the birds of the air had fled. Does this sound familiar? This sounds like Genesis language to me, right? Eerily similar to language that's found in the book of Genesis, actually in a couple of different places. It is the language of the chaos that reigned before God brought a particular kind of creative energy to bear, separating light and darkness, water and land fashioning life in all of its forms, God's order was brought to chaos. And it wasn't just the stuff of nature. It was a particular kind of order, one that nurtured and supported life. God created creation. At the same time, God created a way to live within that creation. And this way of living was God glorifying in that it honored both creator and creation. As the extension of God's loving, serving leadership Humanity was called and tasked to live faithfully and obediently and selflessly. This is how life and creation was meant to be lived and served, and you can see it and hear it in the creation narratives that Jason retells so well in Disciple. Shout out here, and this is, I think, the last chance to sign up, or is that over? Okay, he's like, we're going to let one or two slide in under the line, and that's it. However, if you'll remember with me, we see this language again in just a few chapters after the creation narrative. When people choose to live in opposition to the dreams and the designs of God. Round about chapter six of Genesis, because of the selfishness, wickedness, and faithlessness of the people, creation is decreated. And chaos bursts back onto the scene. Everything is undone. And you know this story, right? God starts again with Noah and his family and the animals. The created order and a faithful order is restored. But as we can see throughout scripture and throughout history, people, for some reason, people like us, tend to choose themselves and chaos rather than the life of God, but the life God has dreamed and designed for all of us. And here in Jeremiah 4, chaos is again breaking in. And this time, it's not rain and a flood. This time, chaos comes in the form of the Babylonian army who threatens to wipe out everything, and they do. Verse 26, I looked and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all of its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. 
So dropped in the middle of this terrifying thing, the part of God bursts forth and says, all of this, it's coming, it's bad, it's really bad, and I just can't be rid of you. I will not make a full end. God says to Jeremiah, beginning of chapter five, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, look around and take note, search its squares and see if you can find just one person who acts justly and seeks truth so that I may pardon all of Jerusalem. Although they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. Jeremiah says to God, Lord, do your eyes not look for truth? You've struck them, but they felt no anguish. You've consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to turn back. Another guy I read says this this week, God in the face of the people's failure of character and virtue chooses not to rescue them from their own consequent demise. Verse 12 in chapter five, they have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said he will do nothing. God won't do that to us. No evil will come upon us. God knows who we are. We're us. God knowing us and us knowing God, God would never bring this kind of catastrophe on us, said the people of God. Say the people as I hear them today. God would never do that to us. Verse 18. But even in those days, God says it again. I will not make a full end of you. God says, I'm gonna do something. I have to do something. But I'm not gonna make a full end of you. So what will God do? What might God do? What did God do? And what might God do? Let's go back to the Apostle Paul. Could have preached from these verses today. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I wish you had. In 1 Timothy Paul says, I am grateful to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was wrong, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. This guy was participating one way or another in the very murder of God's people, all while saying out loud that he was a person of the tradition, a person, a member of the people of God but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, the saying is true, is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul said, I am the foremost. Grace received. All right, ready? You're, You're coming right back in right here. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. Friends, what Paul is saying to you is, you have received mercy and grace. Sure hope you're not wasting it on yourself. Back to Dwight Lundgren. God's very judgment is an act of engagement with and not an abandonment of Israel and all of history. 
Judgment and truth are the preconditions and prologue for God's new creation. Isn't that so good? Jeremiah say today, things are bad and things might get worse, but I think Jeremiah would also say, but God is still ready to do something. Now the question for you and for me and for us, again, this is an us that we participate in as individuals, the question is this, are you and I willing to receive the something that God wants to do to restore, renew, and rehabilitate? Or, like the folks in the temple during the days of Jeremiah, will you kind of do this thing and walk around saying, the temple of the Lord? Nope, nope, the temple of the Lord? Nope, God knows who we are. I will not accept that God, no matter what it is I choose to do or not do, I will not accept that there will actually be consequences. I have an idea of what it is that God wants to do. I have a growing idea of what it is that God wants to do to refresh, to renew, to restore, to rehabilitate. Have an idea. And you get a glimpse of it each week, each week around this table. So if you're helping us, Jason, if you'll come and your folks to help come and help set this table. And God, I would pray that today, giving these terrifying words from the book of Jeremiah, but given these consoling words from the apostle Paul, my prayer is that you would give us in these moments around the table now a glimpse of what it is that you are trying to do to renew, refresh, restore, rehabilitate us. So bless these elements. Bless this bread and this cup and with it, God. Would you give us a deeper glimpse, a greater glimpse as it what it might look like when you refresh and restore. Give us a glimpse, God, of how it is that you are shaping us with this moment of grace so that we can then be the tangible moments of grace out there beyond these walls. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, all of you who are willing. This is an invitation and all are invited, but none are compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, that is absolutely okay. But all who would, in a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pews to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this moment of grace. As you approach a person holding a plate of bread, that person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you dip it into that cup and just dip a little bit, don't go knuckles or elbow deep into that cup, please. <laughs> when you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Moments of grace. And then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. Physical, mental, relational, familial, whatever it is. If you come to one of these front mourners benches, we won't assume anything, but somebody at some point will come by and give you that reassuring touch that you are not alone because in fact you are not alone. 
If you decide to circle all the way back to your seats, that's fine. You may want to make a special trip up here just to dip your fingers into this water to be reminded of the moment of your baptism, your initiation into this group of people who seeks to live an alternative lifestyle with an alternative posture, not always beholden to the rat race, but people who live out of this deep sense that God has extended God's self to us and our lives can be spent in grateful response. If you prefer the prepackaged variety that is just as good and the people in the aisles as they dismiss you by row, they will offer you one of these if you prefer. And since I will have already blessed and I'm gonna do the liturgy here in just a second, as soon as you get your prepackaged elements, you just take and eat and drink and it works just the same. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, 9-11-2022, remember me. In the same way, later he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, brand new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Here's something else I'd like to, to remember. This expresses the posture with which we can live for the world. God gives God's self to us in grace and shapes us. You've heard me say it. I hope we eat so much of this bread around here that you start to think that you're becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given to all of them. Here's where we rehearse the memory that rehearses the posture of the people of God. So now all across the sanctuary, if you would, as you are dismissed by row, please come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to resource the people of God to be the people of God. there are still several to come but the pastor was long-winded today so I'm going to start us praying as you're in lines I'm going to offer a prayer of confession 
and then get out of the way for you to pray your own prayers of confession as it has to do with what we've discussed today. And then Lisa will bring to us the prayers of our kids. Heavenly Father, we do, even as we are making the move toward the broken body and the shed blood, even as we are making this move with our entire bodies, we still recognize that we may have something in common with the people of Judah so long ago. Please show us, God, if we have made faith into something other than care for the one as opposed to the 99. Please, God, help us to know if we too, like them, have abandoned the orphan, the widow, the immigrant. Please help us to know if we have turned faith into something that you never meant for it to be. Please help us to know if we are defending something as faith that you don't recognize as faith. And now as I am quiet, would ask you to pray that prayer of confession, at least ask the question, God, am I caring for the people that you want me to care for? Or am I calling something other than faith, faith? As you are still coming, hear this. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Okay, as always on Kids Sunday, we share with you some of the prayers our kids have prayed over the last month. Guys, these prayers are honest and open and real, and I love them. I love being able to read back through them, and I want to share some of them with you. Dear Lord Jesus, hear the prayers of our kids. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful for church. I love being here. Jesus, I'm thankful for my new baby cousin. Lord, I pray for my friend who fell on the playground and their skin peeled off. I pray for their hurt to feel better soon. Jesus, I have my first ever wiggly tooth. I think my dad might faint when it comes out. <laughs> Lord, I pray that I have a good time at school this year. Jesus, I'm so glad to be going to my friend's birthday party but I'm scared of the dog at her house. Help me not to be afraid. Jesus, I want my silver tooth to come out soon so my tooth can be white again. Dear Jesus, I pray, pray for my grandpa's hip surgery to go well. Please take good care of him. I'm so excited that I'm in second grade now. I'm happy to be getting older. I pray, praying that my new teeth will come in soon. 
My Nona's cat, Macy, died. I pray that she doesn't feel scared by herself. Lord, I lost my tooth, and I pray I can find it soon. <laughs> Dear Jesus, I pray that my mom starts feeling better. Her stomach hurts. And now will you pray with me as I pray for our kids? Dear Lord Jesus, our Father and our friend, we are amazed at your love and grace and the gift of your presence given to us. Thank you. May we be filled with gratefulness and an and the awesomeness of the wonderful gift that you have given to us, especially the gift to receive faith like a child and to grow in that faith, to experience the freedom to wonder and to discover you and your kingdom here on earth to dance and sing and celebrate your creation in us and around us. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to call us and invite us into this life-giving relationship with you. And then send us out to be your hands and feet in the world. What a blessing it was to journey with Anaya and Aislinn and to see their excitement as they prepared to walk into the waters of baptism and identify as a part of your family, declaring your love and their desire to follow you and to walk in their newness of life. Lord Jesus, I also thank you for the kids that participated today in serving. Thank you for the wonderful ways they teach us, especially the joy in serving you. May we just soak it all in. Lord Jesus, I love you, and I praise you. Amen. Would you continue in prayer with me of these moments of intercession? Jesus, we gather around these moments and ask that you would come alongside of a few needs in life of our church and our world, and ask God that your love and your grace would touch those who need it the most. God, we ask for your continued healing in the life of Trudy Caprero, who underwent a heart procedure this week, and she's doing so well at home. God, would you take care of Trudy? God, we ask for your continued healing in the life of Linda Weaver as she recovers from surgery, and ask that, God, you would have a future for her that would be cancer-free. And we pray that same prayer for our friends Diane Dawkins and Scott Peterson. May your healing and grace be with them in the midst of their battle against cancer. Thank you so much for the way in which Diane's able to be teaching this year and ask that you surround all of those who are impacted by cancer. God, we ask that you would be with our friend Ashley Wise as she recovers from her hip surgery. Be with her, God. God, we ask that you would be with those from our online congregation and those who've sent in prayers at prayer at okcfirst.com, including God, would you be with the needs of Kelly McGlynn? God, we ask that you'd be with all who've experienced loss this week. We mentioned Susan Emmerich and the loss of her sister last week, but we ask God you'd be with Andy Bowsman and Jennifer McDaniels and the loss of their grandfather. God, we ask for your continued blessing in the life of our partnership with Zambia and our dear friend Debbie McCulloch, who is on yet another mission, this time to the border of USA and Mexico as a nurse practitioner to do with emergency care these next three months. God, as she leaves Wednesday, would you be with her and go ahead of her and bless her time in this mission? 
God, we ask that you would be with all who are lonely, forgotten. We ask, God, that you'd be with those who are incarcerated. God, I pray for my friend Matthew, who's got an upcoming court date on September 19th. And God, we pray for that one heart who's heavier than all of our hearts, whether watching online or here in the room with us. God, we together pray for that one person who needs you more than all of us. And we ask, God, that your love and grace would go to them now. And now, church, would you pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and then words should be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.